give you a little bit of advice. If you, if there's, if you know a wise person who's a little elderly and their life is winding down, stay close to them because the most important things they can tell you come at the end of their life. It's things that they want to pass on, things that they know they need to give to the people they care about the most. Jesus has poured his life into these 12 disciples for three years, three years of ministry and study, and now he has a matter of hours. And if you look through the book of John from chapters 13 through 17, some of the greatest promises, some of the, some of the most fascinating precepts come in that portion of Scripture. That's the time frame. Jesus is going to tell his disciples something they really need to hear. So I said it's, it's, it's Thursday, it's Passion Week, and more than likely, they're still in the upper room. They're either still in the upper room or about to leave the upper room and go out to the garden of Gethsemane. Something terrible has just happened. Um, Jesus has told the whole group. He looked at it and he said, um, pretty soon it's my time, and you're going to abandon one of them. It's shaking them at the core. And then Judas does what Judas does. Trades Jesus with a kiss and he goes out for a certain piece of absorbing. <clears throat> now, Jesus, as we get into John chapter 15, he's going to start out and he says, I am the true vine. I'm going to stop right there. I am the true vine. This message is going to be something that tells these 11 disciples and it's going to be something they need to hear because as they go through the next hours in the garden, they go through the trial of Jesus and then the crucifixion, and the burial, and they go back to their lives that they were doing before as fishermen, uh, just whatever they were doing before, they're going to be thinking, here's Judas, and he was one of us. And he was right there every day, breaking bread with us, involved in ministry, hugging people. He was there at the, uh, the, the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. He was there the whole time. And he betrayed Jesus. And then we abandoned Jesus. Say. So Jesus is going to talk here in John chapter 15 about real disciples and false disciples. And we're not going to dwell on that too much, but I wanted to give you the context of the chapter and the timing of the chapter. So let me read you, I'm just going to read you the first three verses and we'll read the rest. He says, I am the true vine, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because it came down out of heaven on the parachute. <laughs> he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't Fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Now let's stop right there at the first verse. I am the true vine. Now, I can say that to you this morning. I can read it right out of the scriptures, and it doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But if you were one of the disciples back in the upper room, it would have meant tons to you. If you were a, a, a person of Jewish history, of Jewish descent, and you could trace your lineage back to your tribe or your clan, that phrase, that analogy of being a vine was something you probably heard all your life. In fact, the Old Testament is replete of examples where the nation of Israel was called a vine. It was referred to as a vine, but it was always in a negative connotation. It was a vine that did not bear fruit over and over and over. So if they heard the analogy of the vine, they drew back. Oh yeah, this is how we failed. We fail to produce the fruit that pleases God. We fail to produce the fruit uh, that He expected of us. And because of that, impending judgment. Did you ever, you remember years ago there was a, um, a, a study by Henry Blackaby on experiencing God. I think that was, it was, it was a trip to the Old Testament. And Mr. Blackaby showed a pattern. 
of, you know, here's the children of God, and God's blessing them, they turn away from God, here comes judgment, they were the vine, they weren't producing food, fruit, there's judgment, they turn back to God, here they are with God, they turn away from God, here comes judgment, over and over and over. I tried, but I failed, I tried, but I failed, I tried, but I failed. Jesus says here in verse 1, I am the true vine. Now, like I said, it doesn't mean a lot to you and me, but to Jews, to, to 12 Jewish men, well, let's say 11, to 11 Jewish men, this meant the world. It meant that everything that they had known for centuries about their failure, the failure of their nation in Israel to produce the fruit, Jesus says, I'm going to be that for you. What you couldn't be, I'm going to be for you. What you could not do, what you could not accomplish, I'm going to do for you. I'm the true mind. All the pressure is off you now. And because, and it's going to go on, and because I am the true and I'm going to talk to you about what it means to be a part of that vine, to be a branch. It's going to give you the ability to produce the fruit now. I'm going to do that. It's on me. I've got this. That was revolutionary to these 11 men. And they needed to hear it. They really needed to hear it, especially in All right. So that's our time frame. That's what's going on. That's what the analogy is. Uh, so let me give you your first point. Uh, here it is. And it comes in the second verse. Expect prudence. He says, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do. All right, so we'll do our little housekeeping here. It's a tough thing. I've never preached here before, so you don't know me, but I'm going to say this because I love Christians produce fruit. If you're a Christian, God will produce fruit. And that's it. That's as you can say. So when I get down here in these last verses, we'll talk, we'll, we'll visit back but we want to focus on this. So if you're not producing fruit, you're not a true believer. If you're producing fruit, God's got a plan for you. He's going to prune you. It doesn't sound like an exciting process, does it? It sounds a little painful. Pruning. Uh, pruning is a gardening term. It means to cut back. I don't know if any of y'all are good. Some of y'all probably have gardens going on. We've got the Garden of Hope and Heritage. And, um, very often, you know, the tomato vines will come in and they'll produce the fruit. And then uh, Stewart or some of the people work it, they'll cut it back so it'll produce more fruits. We get more tomatoes out of the same plant. It's a painful process. It includes stuff that's, that's tough, that can be painful. Um, so if he's, if he's pruning us, if this, is the, if this is God's will, this is his process, and he says it right at the first of this passage, he says, you know, not only am I the, I'm a true vine and I accomplished this for you, but if you're in me, I'm going to prune you. And you say, well, he already said we're fruitful. Why would you prune something that's fruitful? I kind of already answered it. So it bears more fruit. Look, let me read to you a few more verses. He says, he prunes the branches that do, that do bear fruit so that they will produce more fruit. That's his goal. They are not only fruitful, but you're very fruitful. In fact, he goes on and he says, you have already been pruned. And purified by the message I've given you, remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. It goes on down in, uh, I think, verse 8. Verse 7, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask me anything you want, and it will be given you when you produce much fruit. You go from fruit, more fruit, much fruit. You are, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. 
So as we read that passage, we read that verse, we get the idea that it's pretty important that we produce fruit. Um, so let's talk about this matter of fruit. What is it? Let's, let's get a definition of it. Uh, because if, if you were, again, I'm going to go back to the time when the Jews, we're in the first century now, we're, we're trying to put ourselves in the place of these 11 disciples. And the example they had for fruit was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's, that was the religious elite of the day. All of their fruit was external. It was, it was doing deeds out in the public to be seen by men. It was following the traditions of men. And it was, it was and Jesus called them dead. He said, all what they do is nothing. It's not of God. It's just to be seen by men. And they're going to receive their reward, which is to praise men. And that's all they're after. They're not true disciples. They're not uh, truly people who follow God. Um, let me read to you something here. Uh, yep, page 16, the 37 pages in the list. <laughs> so, what kind of fruit are we talking about? Uh, we'll go to Galatians chapter 5. And Paul's going to tell us in the book of Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 through 26, that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit Jesus is talking about, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And he'll say, against such things there is no law. This is the fruit that God wants to produce in all his children. Fruit that he wants to produce in the believers. There's two things we get from that. Number one is, as we are believers and we remain in the Bible, and that's what he said. I'm going to talk about that word here in a minute. Remain or abide, conversion, promises abide. As we abide in the vine, those, the fruit of the Spirit, and, and the word fruit is singular, and that's important, is going to be produced in us. And God's going to prune us to make sure that it happens. Um, why is it important that it's singular? Uh, why why not start picking out these attributes here? I mean, why not just focus on goodness? Or why not focus on faith? It, the word is singular because this idea of fruit is this symmetrical, growing thing within you. God wants to produce because He's put His Spirit within you. He's going to produce these values, these, these tendencies, these behaviors that come out of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And if we start teasing them and picking them out and focusing on one of those, then they don't go well together. I mean, what if we're, we're not walking so well in, 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 in kindness? Well, if we're not walking so well in kindness, then we're probably not going to be that faithful or that good. If we're not, if we're not exemplifying love, then we're probably not going to show patience or joy. We're going to have love in our heart. You see what I'm saying? If you start pulling them out, then the whole thing is false. If you see them in singular, symmetrical Thing, and God is producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and they all work together. God's doing this. Um, and it's an important thing. It's, a, it, it's an important process. We already read that. I read down through those verses and said, God wants to produce fruit in your life. Why is that so important? Why is it important that we produce fruit? Um, Alright, let, let, let me give you a way to look at you know he wants to produce fruit in this Looking at the fruit. Now, that, that's the fruit of the Spirit. As, as God develops the fruit of the Spirit, we can talk about other types of fruit. Good works, the fruit of worship, the fruit of evangelism. Uh, we can talk about that. We want to focus on this. Let me, let me share this other verse with you. I, I think this is important. Um, 
because very often when we look at this process of pruning, God wants to produce fruit in me, but he's going to prune me to do it, and then keep on pruning me so that I do more. It gets painful to think it's not a process I like. It's not something that I'm in nature. But it's important that he does that because it proves, as we said here, that I belong to him. It's one of the evidences of my Christianity. God disciplines me, that he shows me love, that he continues to prove that he allows things in my life that sometimes are difficult. And our, our goal is not to despise the process. And that's what I'm going to encourage you. Who going to come because you believers don't despise the process. Don't, don't lose your joy. Don't despair. Um, very often we think uh, there's this, I, I don't know where this comes from, I hear about this all the time. This idea, this fallacy that if we're doing Christianity right, if you're doing it right, you're getting it right, I'm reading my Bible, praying like I should, I'm going to church, I'm there every Sunday. Things should just go smooth. We have that happy, slappy kind of Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? You know, we kind of look at those Christians in church and everybody's dressed in license for one. Things must be going well for them and their job and their relationships. That's not true. And we think when the tough times come in our life, when things get hard and things get bad, we must be doing something wrong. Jesus would say, no, no, hardly pruning. In fact, it may be evidence that you're doing everything right. Because you're bearing fruit. Well, God wants you to bear one. So he's cutting you back. In his kindness, he's cutting you back so that you produce more fruit. So it shows that evidence that you're him. All right, so let me share this other verse with you. We'll talk about the importance of this. Proverbs 22, 6. I love this verse. It says, Train a child in the way they should go, and they all will not depart from it. You all know that verse. You've probably heard it from kids. I heard that verse from when I was a kid, and sometimes it gets so misquoted and misunderstood. Um, train up a child, that phrase talks about the natural being of children, how God has designed we just want to throw the law out. We'll just throw the law out. Train up a child. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. And if I do that, when they're older, they're going to stay with me. But train up a child talks about the natural bent of a child, how God has designed them, and what he wants to do. Let me, let me give you a picture. This great glory says that that phrase in the Hebrew, it kind of presents a picture of a midwife holding a baby, taking her finger and dipping it in a bowl of crushed eggs and placing it in that baby. Thirst for its mother's milk. And that's what that means. Train up a child in the way they go. It's incumbent upon us as Christian parents to cause our children to thirst after the things of God. As they see, as, as, as they see the fruit of the Spirit working in our life, they're going to look at that and say, that's different. That's something special about mom and dad. And it's not just our children, the people around you in the workplace, the people that are within your realm of influence. I'll give you so if Cody's out in my garage, he's got into my tools, and he's just beating these wrenches against the concrete, and he's warped them up and stuff, and, and he comes in, and he knows he's done something wrong, he's expecting judgment, and I look at the fruit of the Spirit, and instead of judgment, I show him patience and kindness and goodness, and I do that because God has proved and shown me, and that touches the heart of my son in Something special, but something different. That's something I don't get every day. Dad shows me kindness and goodness. And then I'm going to stand. You see what I'm saying? 
that God's working these things in our life. He's, 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 he's growing us up in Him. He's producing these fruit in our life. And you say, why is it important we produce fruit? It's important for our children. It's important for the next generation. It's important for all those around you. Because you, you are the key to reaching all the other yous out there with With the fruit. As they see the fruit in your life, they're going to see something different. It's going to, just like training the child in the way they should do it, it's going to cause them to thirst after something they don't have. They don't want it. And it doesn't come from you. It comes supernaturally. God is, or Jesus is the vine. God is the, the gardener. He's, he's working on the vines. Or he's working on the branches. He's cutting back the branches. And he's producing this fruit in Very important that we understand that. Okay. Uh, so we talked about the fruit. We talked about the importance of the fruit. Um, now, let me get to point two. So, so that's, my, that's my first thing. Expect prudent. Expect it. It's going to come. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It could mean you're doing everything right. I mean, you all know what I'm talking about. Uh, you, you, you know what I'm not talking about. If you've got sin in your life, if you've got unconfessed, unrepentant sin, then maybe the consequences are for that, and you should deal with that. Every believer in here knows that. I'm talking about those things uh, James would talk about. He said, don't consider it strange when you face trials and temptations and these weird things that come along in life that just seem to they're bad. They're just bad. Don't 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 act like something strange has come upon you. Because if you look around, I'll believe it. Everyone's it's something good. God's proven He wants you to be more fruitful. Here's our second point. Our position is now in his presence. Let me read these verses, verse three. It says in verse three, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. I think the King James says, you've been made clean. I like that. Verse 4, remain in me. There's the first time we said that. Abide. Remain in me. Greek word from the Greek word mani, which means to stay within or to remain. Stay connected. Don't let go. Uh, continue. That's one of the words I like. Verse 4, he says, remain in me, and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse 5, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, I and I in them, will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my work remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Our position is now in His presence. You are already clean. Verse 3 is almost like a scandalous verse, especially when we think about, I, I already talked to you about the timing of this. All right, so He's telling them right now, you are clean because the word that I preached to you. You believed it. You're clean. You're sensitive. You're purified. You're in me. We have a relationship. Think about the men that he's saying this to. Because in a matter of hours, every one of those losers are going to abandon Jesus in his darkest hour. One of them betrayed him. The other one's going to deny him. That's who he's saying that to. That's amazing. You're already clean. I've already taken care of this. doesn't matter that I know you're about on the cusp of your greatest failure in your life. It doesn't change anything. Because I'm the true vine. I took care of this for you. I did what you could not do for yourself. I have become what you could not become. And because of that, if you remain in me, if you'll abide in me, I, I didn't want to get so much into the, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not a horticulture, so I don't, anything I touch in the, in the garden just dies. I mean, it just dies. They, we went to get some tomato plants years ago, and, and I, I think I planted the tuning in and Becky planted the rest, and I swear the tuning in, they were brown, true. I didn't even get there in that. I just, I, so I didn't, really, I didn't really get too much of that. The word abide means remain. And, and you get this picture of you get this picture of the vine and the branches coming off of it. And the branches are drawing everything they need out of the vine. They're not coming up with it on their own. They don't come up with the water they need, the sunshine they need, the sap, the life-giving sap that comes in the vine. It all comes from the vine. And Jesus said, as long as you abide in me, everything you need to live the Christian life, I'm going to give you. You don't have to muster it up on your own. In fact, you can't. Because if you cut that branch, he says, if you sever that branch, you're dead. Without me, you have no life. You have no spiritual life. So just remain in me. Charles Stanley wrote a book called A Wonderful Spiritual Life. And he said, as he studied and meditated on this truth, as he did that, when the, the reality of this truth gripped him, he lay on the floor, face down. I think he used the word prostitute. That's the word prostitute, face down. And he lay there for hours. Because he couldn't believe he missed that for years. The Holy Spirit had just revealed that to him. To be a successful Christian. I hate this. To be the Christian God's call us to be is a kind of place to stay in him, to remain in him, to stay connected to him. And everything we need to draw from him. Alright, you're already clean. Our position is now in his presence. Offense brings evidence. Um, yeah. Tell you about, let me, let me tell you about this. We talk about this word, abide. And uh, it, it brings to it two ideas. This intimacy with Christ. We have this union with Christ. This intimacy. And, and, and God has already said, God has already told us through his word. Jesus said, I, I know my sheep. They know my name and they follow me. My Father's given them to me. They're in my hand and I will not lose my life. There's security salvation of the believer based on the fact that Jesus is the true Alright, there we are. That's the intimacy, and it's because of Him. Then here's the second father, and this is incumbent upon us. Every day you have a choice. Am I going to abide in Jesus today, or am I going to turn my affections to the world? Because there's lots of cool things out there in the world that look exciting to me, that draw my attention, Focus on them, draw them away from Jesus. John, first John 2 15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If any man loves the world, love the Father cannot be. How crucial is it that we abide in the body? Because if we don't, we start to love the world. If you love the world, you're sacrificing the love of our Father. You're saying, The world looks better than Jesus. And only a, a, a carnal mind can say, As we abide in Jesus, uh, as we abide in Jesus, we remain in Jesus. We're going to bear fruit because He's going to keep pruning us positionally. We're seated with Christ. We're in His presence. And He wants us to abide. He wants us to remain. But let me tell you, uh, so I said it's coming upon us. Uh, it's, it's a challenge to us. Sometimes it's tough uh, because the world is just screaming for our attention. And I'm going to give you some practical things here in a minute. But um, I, I want to tell you about it. Just try to get down practically. There was a song, Stephen Kurtz Jack, one of my favorite contemporary Christian songs. I know he's old now. He's way old. 
That's okay. Because he's still, he rocks it out. I love some to show. Years ago, he wrote a song, and it was on um, the Heaven and the Real World album, and it was on, I was going to say it was on the back side of the tape, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's way down the CD. And uh, it, it was a song that never got play on the radio. It was called Burn Ships. Burn Ships. I like it because it had a snappy tune. Years later, after I was listening to it, it had this great message to it. In the song, Burn the Ship, Stephen Curtis Chapman actually gave us a history lesson about Spanish explorer Cortez. Cortez took a colony, a, a, a ships full of colonists to the New World, and he wanted to establish a colony, a Spanish colony, for the glory of the monarch. And he was committed to it. And as the colonists come to the New World, and they, they, they built their houses, and they, they're trying to live there, they got hit with all these things, you know, harsh weather. Uh, here in the New World, they had um, diseases they hadn't had to deal with before. Angry natives, I can't imagine how the natives didn't want them there. Angry natives would come out. And every time difficulty came out of them, they would point to the harbor and they would say, There's the ships. As long as the ships are there, we can get back on the ships and go back in the So while they were inland one day, and Cordelia did it, while they were inland one day, forging for food, doing what they did, it's called. Cortez said, ordered his men to burn the ships. And he burned the ships in the harbor. And Cortez's message to the colonists was this. Now you're committed. Now you're committed to the new life because the vehicle to the old life is gone. It's That's my encouragement. I usually talk to young believers. It's also us believers in the in Christianity for a while. When, when the pressures of life come against us, we choose not to abide in the vine. We don't turn to Jesus for comfort or forgiveness or help or whatever we need. We tend to turn back to the old life. What was it before you come to Christ that made you feel good about yourself? Sad to say, we turn to bad habits. We turn to places we shouldn't go. Even people in our lives. Relationships can be a vehicle to the old life that you need to get rid of. Because as long as you're turning to that, it's pulling you away from the affections of Christ. You're not abiding in the fire. You will not have fruit. So here's my encouragement as I tell you. I, I, I want you to identify the vehicles in your life that pay you to your life. I want you to identify. Be that person, that relationship, could be that place, could be that type of music, could be that habit. Whatever it is, you know what it is, huh? Because I have my own. Do a radical surgery. Get rid of it. Jesus would say it like this. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Because it's better to enter heaven, made without that right hand, than it is to go to heaven. If, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now, did Jesus want you to cut your hand off your arm? Are, are we speaking figuratively or literally? It's figurative. He's just saying... I want to let you know how important it is that you do this. Get rid of those things that draw you away from me because I'm going to tell you the only fulfillment and true uh, peace you're going to have in your life is going to come as you abide in me. The only fruit that's going to be, that you're going to bear in your life is going to come from me. And as you turn away from me and back to the old ones, you'll bear less and less and until it's going to get you in the place where you want to be. So 
We talk about fruit. We talk about the importance of fruit. And then we talk about this position that we have in Christ that is given us. As long as we abide, and that's incumbent upon us. That's a choice that we make. What am I going to choose to do with my day? How, how am I going to abide in Christ today? How am I going to remain? In, how am I going to continue in Christ? What are the disciplines that are going to involve myself? Um, okay. Um, so here, let me get to my last one. Power to live. Well, let me read you these last verses. I'll read it verse 7. Verse 8. I'll back up to verse yeah, verse 8. When you, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Again, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I don't only want you to have joy, but I want you to overflow with joy. And if you have my joy, it is a joy that overflows. It's a joy that you can't hide. It'll be on your face. It'll be there. That's the joy that I want you to have. As you abide in me, and as I prune you and produce fruit, as you remain, this process is going to happen, and you'll experience more and more joy. It's going to come upon us. Alright, let me talk about this. I'm going to read some of these notes because, wow, I write good stuff at 11.30 at night. <laughs> but 11, 11 the next day, some of this is kind of So, so uh, I, I read to you verses 8 through 10. Now, there's something here that's important I want to talk about. We talk about this matter of obedience and abiding. Abiding in love and obedience. Um, there's a cycle of dependence, it's a good way of saying it, that's unfolding here. And very often we get this wrong, we get it kind of back. We read it and we say, I see that if I obey his commands, then I will abide in his love. And that's what we say. And that's backwards because that's not what he said. He said, abide in my love and you'll obey my commands. So it's not obey my commands and you'll love me. But it is as you grow in your love for me, you will obey my commands. The, the, the relationship and the growing in Christ in this relationship has to be there first, and then you'll obey. Sometimes we read that and we get that backwards. And when we do that, we kind of step outside what I would call Christian orthodox. Orthodox Christian faith is not do so you might be approved, but it is uh, love, so therefore you will do. You see what I'm saying? Relationship first. As the relationship is there, as I love Christ, He's producing fruit, and then obedience will flow out of that. Obedience is required of us as Christians, but it's not always easy. It's not always easy. It's tough sometimes. And you're not always going to do it. I keep reading through this passage and, 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 and reading this. So important for the Lord that we remain and we obey Him. Sometimes you're going to mess up. Um, but it's important that we understand that. Um, you know, I, I keep saying that. Love first and then obedience comes. Love first. Your focus. I'm trying to think of a great way to say it without double negative, and I can't do it. You don't want to uh, focus on not not doing things that are bad, but you want to focus on how I love Christ and growing my love for Christ. And as I do that, the obedience comes. Um, you understand this if, uh, if you've been married. I mean, you all know this. You've been married. You know how this works. So, years ago, Becky and I were 
can give you the ability to overcome that and make your obedience so much easier. That's what's incumbent upon us. All right. So I said this is practical. It's not practical. It's like you do a, I a challenge or an exercise. What, what can we do? A good exercise for all of us would be uh, to spend time paying attention to what stirs your affection for Jesus and those things that will rob our affection for Jesus. Uh, it, it's very important to do that. Let, let me give you another word. I, I, keep, I go back to the Proverbs. I love Proverbs 4.23 says this. Um, um, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of its ring it issues of life. That's the NIV version. Um, Jack Hayford would uh, translate that. Be careful what you put your affections on. Because it determines the outcome of your life. Woo! Did you say that's a weighty verse? Be careful what you put your affections on because it determines the outcome of your life. What you love, what your affections are, is going to determine the direction that you go. So it's, a, uh, it's something that we should all be doing is find out what stirs up our, uh, how we're wired. That's what I'm saying. Find out how God has wired you. Um, you need to think about that. Uh, now, I, I would say this. All of us have to be devoted to the disciplines, the disciplines of prayer and Bible study. If you're going to grow in Jesus Christ, you've got to be devoted to the disciplines. And, and, and I'll add, because it's been so great this morning, our worship, our fellowship, y'all, some of y'all this morning are doing that great evangelism. These are disciplines. But beyond that, you get beyond that, it's wide open. It's wide open. And what works for you may not work for me. And what works for me may not work for you. Um, Becky's a morning person. I think morning people ought to be committed. <laughs> I don't understand morning people. I don't know how you leap out of bed and turn somersaults and grab the vacuum cleaner in the room and on the way to get the cup of coffee. And that's my life. And seeing why she's doing that, I was probably not this picture. <laughs> I'm a night person. I like to spend my time with God at night when things are dark. Things are sad. I'm the supposed to be. That's why I like to hang out with God. That's when I, that stirs my affection. That is a good person. I like what stirs my affection for Jesus. I, I like to take very things. I love seeing the first I get to heaven. We're going to have our condo right outside. So he doesn't know that.
trying to love on their natural people. <laughs> and doing that, because I see that, it stirs my affection for Jesus. Um, all right, so I gave you that example, and then, then you got to find out how to do it. The opposite is true. We're going to find the things that will drag us away from Jesus. Um, I said I love TV, but sometimes I watch too much, and I can put up some bad news, because when I do watch too much TV, I watch the wrong things. I become numb. My senses become dull. Um, I, I, I tend to I, I watch some dark things, and I get more desensitized to it, and then I become amused by things that break my heart of Jesus. So I, I have to look back. It's tough because I'm like, it could be. I'm not one of those. I'm not. I'm not a TV Nazi. I'm not. I don't think watching TV is going to be. You know, you're not going to do crap. Um, but you, you see what I'm saying? Why have God wired you? Why have things that are going to encourage your affections for Jesus? And you focus on that. That's a Bible. That's what He's called us to. And then uh, on the other side, find out the things that it's going to hurt your affections for Jesus and, and, and get rid of them. Start cutting them out of your life. It's a good practice to do. Um, working on growing my capacity to love the Lord empowers and fuels my ability to obey, my obedience. It will follow as you love Christ, as you pour your heart into Christ and that affection for Him. It will fuel your obedience. It's the power to love that, uh, that being positioned in the presence of God fuels and drives our obedience and, and the transformation of a more and more like Jesus Christ and all that hinges upon Christ. And all of that starts back in verse 1. Because Jesus is the true life. Because on the cross, he's going to, He has it here going to accomplish what we could not accomplish. He's going to do what we couldn't do. He's going to make it possible for you to be a branch that's attached to the vine. He's going to produce fruit in you by pruning you. Expect pruning. Don't despise the process. And as, as, as he prunes you, as he does, as he shows you this kindness, and he, and he makes you fruitful in your life, and you focus as you abide in Jesus, you be focusing on your love for not I'm not trying to do bad things, but I'm doing what's good because it's going to help you with it. All right. Uh, verse 11. Let me finish up. I said, why is this so important? We, we kind of answered that. But he, he goes on and he says, <clears throat> when you produce much fruit, which is the goal, you are my true disciples. You want evidence of your salvation in Jesus Christ? Watch how God produces fruit in you. And, and the fruit process, you all know that. I, I told you about the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. But I would say, as you look at it, here's how it unfolds. I think about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and control. I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I'm going to be. But I'm here. I'm not back there. That's how you know God's producing fruit. I've come away. I'm not back there. I'm not doing things. Evidence of your salvation. This brings great glory to my Father. If you go to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I, I love that I, I mentioned the phrase bottom line. I like the bottom line. People talk to me all the time. It's like, we want to share Christ with the bottom line. Today. Bottom line. What's the bottom line? Bottom line is Westminster Shorter Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You were put here to glorify God. Chief end of man. And to enjoy a relationship for Him. Forever, because you're abiding in Him. 
But if you're abiding in him the way you should, and that relationship is growing and he's producing fruit, that's what Jesus said there in the verse. This brings great glory to my Father. Um, I, love the, I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of my favorite. Uh, my class hates me bringing the Sermon on the Mount because I just kill it with Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So, Dave, did you ever read any other three chapters in the Bible? Once I get this right, I'm going to move on. Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the Beatitudes. Jesus gives the Beatitudes for values. Beatitudes are values for people who live in the kingdom. And then Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are behaviors. And the behaviors are based on the values of people who live in the kingdom of God. And that makes sense. And you get to the end of chapter 5, and, 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 and Jesus says this most incredible thing. It used to depress me. Now I get excited about it. He says, talking about love, he says, I want you to love everybody. I want you to love everyone in your realm of influence. I want you to, want you to love your enemies. And, when, and you have to do that. And when you do that, it's, it's, it's going to evidence that you're a lot like me. And then he says, here it comes. Therefore, be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Your Father in heaven is perfect. I can't do that. I can be perfect. Moral perfection is that attainable here on earth. Why would John write First John 1, 8, 9? If we say we have no sin, then the truth is not in us. Then God have a lie. Your sin, I can't, I can't tell you. The word for perfection, Charles Smith gave a great explanation. He said it speaks of functional perfection. That is to say, if you had a lawnmower and it had something tore on it, and there's a bolt there. You know those bolts that they make for lawnmowers? And you have 122 wrenches in your garage, and none of those wrenches fit that bolt. This is it, it's happening. So you go to Lowe's, and there's this wrench that is just for that bolt. It's made just for that bolt. You buy the wrench. You undo the bolt. You fix what's broken. You put the bolt back. The wrench has become perfect because it accomplished what it was created to accomplish. God is always true to his character. He always loves with a godly love, a self-sacrificial love, a love that doesn't return anything. And he calls us to the same thing. And he says... Be just like me. Be what I've created you for. Uh, Ephesians 2.8.10 would say, God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. I want you to, I want you to abide in me and bear fruit. And as you do that, you're going to become perfect in the fact that you're going to be what I called you to be and do what I called you to do. And as you do that, you're going to enjoy incredible fulfillment in Christ. That's one way that it comes. And that's what he's saying. And it'll bring great glory to God. Now, all right, here's where I stop. Even though I have a lot of notes that have given me a lot to think about. That's my challenge to you. My challenge is uh, it's threefold here. Expect pruning. Don't don't do the upset process. And it's okay to be honest. Hey, listen. My my family, we have come through like four years of the darkest period. I mean, I, I lost both my parents. I, I My parents died about, I don't know, 14 months apart. I buried them, I buried them, I buried them, and a week later, my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Within a couple of months, um, Kaylee had, um, she went down on a basketball court and had a knee surgery. Kelsey was going to two more surgeries for the next year and a half, and all that was on Monday. Make it, that's a joke. Um, 
And, and, and I want to tell you that that was part of the biggest growth period of my life. I, I, I wasn't signed up for it. And, and God got me through it. And, and I'm bearing fruit on the I think I'm bearing fruit on the other side. But I'm not ready to go. Hey, I'd like another course here so I can bear some more fruit. I was not willing to do that. But what I'm saying is don't despise the process. It's okay to share with your elders here at church. It's okay to share with the pastors. It's okay to share with each other. I'm going through a hard time. It hurts. It stinks. I love what I through me. It's not very much fun. Can you help me through it? Can you pray for me? Can you encourage me? And it's okay to be honest with that. Um, I was. I was. I accidentally did like, what the hell? This stuff's going on. What's God doing? Um, that's my challenge. Don't despise the process. Bring other people in. Uh, expect proof. Uh, see yourself positionally in there. Look to love God first and let other people to follow. I'm not, I'm not trying to dissuade you from that. I'm just saying don't focus on not doing what you shouldn't do. Focus on doing what you should do. Loving God should be your problem. It's a big problem. And, and you've got to focus on everything. You've got to bind your mind. Find those things that stir up your affections for Jesus Christ. See how God has wired you. Implement that in life. Cut out things. Go and see them. No. Pray with me. If you buy your hands, I just want to pray with you.